In this episode, we're going to learn about mountain lions. I have the pleasure of inviting Dr. Alice Granados, an ecologist at the Philidae Conservation Fund. Alice has done tons of research on the impacts of human disturbance on wildlife. She has studied elephants in Central Africa, orangutans, and other animals in Southeast Asia, and now mountain lions in the USA. I hope you enjoy the conversation. Welcome to the EcoChat Podcast. If you're into animals, nature, the environment, then this is the podcast for you. In each episode, I chat with the world's leading experts to discuss issues our planet is facing and learn how you and I can make a difference. So without further ado, let's jump right in. Alice, how's it going? Good. Thanks for inviting me, Sam. No worries. It's great to have you here. And yeah, I'm super excited to jump in and learn more about mountain lions. Mm -hmm. So to start off, I have a burning question to ask you. And this is something that I've always wondered about, but I was just too lazy to ever Google it. And so here's the question. So there's three names that I've heard of. There's cougar, puma, mountain lion. Are these referring to the same thing? Yes, they're all the same thing. And there's actually more names than that, um, like local names, depending on yeah where you are. But no, those are all totally the same thing. And I've had other people ask me that um, recently, too. And they're like, oh, I thought a puma was like a bear. But like, oh, I didn't realize it was the same thing as a cougar. But no, all the exact same species, just different names, even within um, different lo- locations within the U.S. and Canada. Gotcha. So just different names for the same species. Yes. Great. So now that we've gotten that out of the way, please introduce us to the mountain lion. Like, what are some fun facts? What do they eat? Where do they live? Etc. Yeah. So they're really cool because they are like, well, in the U.S. and Canada, for the most part, we do have the jaguar, but um, mountain lion is the widest ranging terrestrial mammal in the Americas. Um, so terrestrial just meaning like that they live on land um, full time. And so they're lions, as, as you can tell by their name, which is super cool that we just have those here. And they're apex predators, which means that they are at the top of the food chain um, and eat meat. So they're carnivores. Um, and so they're super important just because everything that they do kind of affects other species in turn. So they can keep um, prey populations in check as well as other smaller carnivores in check. Um, but in terms of kind of like what they look like, so they can be around like 100 20 kilograms, uh, measure like five to nine feet with the tail, with the tail being 40% uh, approximately um, of that body length. Wow, that's a long tail. Yeah. And so they use that tail for balance um, when they're hunting their prey. Um, But also they can jump really high, so about like 22 feet. So that's why we tell people uh, if you don't want mountain lions to eat your like smaller like hobby animals or domestic animals, even though they're within an enclosure, it's really important that that enclosure has a um, roof or is taller than 22 feet because they can easily clear that. And besides that, so they live in, uh, well, they're usually solitary. So if you see more than one, it's probably a family group. Um, Sometimes we get people telling us that uh, there's a group of pumas or a pack of pumas um, in their neighborhood. It's not true. It'll be a mom and two cubs. Um, and the cubs will stay with the mom for about two years and then they'll go off on their own and start to live life on their own. Um, yeah. 
But I think they're super cool. Uh, I just think it's really cool that we have lions in this part of the world. Um, and they range all the way from northern Canada to uh, southern South America. So Patagonia and Argentina and Chile. So yeah, really cool that we have them. And what do they usually eat in the wild? I know you mentioned if they're found near urban areas, they might prey on domestic animals. But in nature, in their natural habitat, what do they usually eat? Yeah, so their preferred prey species in the Bay Area, so here in California, um, where I'm based, is mule deer. So that's what they will prefer to go for. Um, they will take smaller prey as well. They might also eat things like coyotes and bobcats as well sometimes. And then smaller animals like um, rabbits or other like rodents. Um, but yeah, mule deer is the the preferred prey, the preferred meal. Okay, so... They're called mountain lions, right? So are they in any way related to lions in Africa? Well, so they're under kind of this larger taxonomic group. So just how we eat group species in that they are felines, so felines. So that's the group that your domestic cats will fall under. Um, so yeah, in terms of the more broader uh, context, they are in the same group, but they're not uh, specifically related. Um, and also getting more into like details, they are not like the same genus, um, or and of course not the same species. Um, but yeah, the mount the African lions live in pride, which is totally different from um, the lions here in the Americas that uh, are usually solitary or will meet up with other individuals for mating. Or yeah, like I said before, um, if it's a family group. Got it. Do they have any competitors or are they pretty much at the top of the food chain? Because you mentioned jaguars a minute ago and I was just wondering, like, would they have any overlapping ranges with jaguars or any other top carnivores? Uh, they do have overlapping ranges. So in parts th throughout the mountain lion range, there will be other cats. So jaguars um, will be the largest one. Uh, but for the most there is some sort of like separation in terms of like eating like different types of prey or being active at different times of the day or using just like slightly different areas. Um, and so I guess technically they would be in competition, but somehow um, they'd have found a way to coexist or at least co-occur um, in the same kind of broad areas. Interesting. So are cougars facing any threats? Because I'm just thinking of the other big cats around the world, they're pretty threatened by things like hunting, habitat destruction, etc. So are cougars in the U.S. facing the same threats as well? Yeah, those all are applicable to mountain lions as well. So habitat loss, um, as you can imagine, you know, people are using more and more space. There's just more people around in general. This yeah applies to pretty much everywhere in the world. Um, but yeah, loss of good habitat with covering sufficient water sources, sufficient prey species, that is a major threat to mountain lions. Um, and of course, that kind of goes along with the fragmentation of habitat. So even if you have kind of a larger good habitat patch, so something that has somewhere that has all those things that mountain lions need, um, if, for example, there's a highway that is going through it or some other kind of road or some town that's built nearby, then that can break up that habitat. And so it makes it instead of one larger one, um, into you know multiple smaller ones and then in order to make sure that pumas can still move across those areas then you need to make sure that there's like corridors or some sort of way for them to get to those different spaces and so those would definitely be the major um, threats to mountain lions 
Also related to that, of course, human-wildlife conflict is an issue. People, you know, have this fear uh, response and attitude towards um, just predators in general. Um, they are have been persecuted by people, you know, just historically. And so a lot of times if a mountain lion takes someone's pet um, or their, like, hobby animal, then people will kill them in something called, like, retaliatory killing. Um, and so also related to that, um, some people, they will do that, but we don't really know like how extensive that or how prevalent that response is. And so that's an issue if we just don't know kind of how many pumas we're losing um, to that kind of retaliatory response. So on the note of habitat destruction, what exactly is the cause of that? Is it like the expansion of the city or building highways across natural areas? Like what's the cause of the destruction of cougar habitat. Yeah, just more urban areas, um, roads, that sort of thing. Um, you know, we have all these protected areas, but if we don't have ways for pumas to get from one area to another, then um, in some cases, you know, they're being underutilized just because the animals can't get there. Interesting. And what's their conservation status right now? Like, how's their population doing? Yeah, so overall... For all mountain lions, that includes all the ones from Canada down to South America, uh, the IUCN, so the World Conservation Union, which is kind of the global body that um, assesses what status a species is. So basically how likely they are to be extinct or not. And so the IUCN has um, has designated mountain lions to be called least concern. So Oh, really? But yeah, for in terms of that, they're saying, oh, there's no problem. You know, we have them everywhere. But the problem is that throughout their range, so maybe overall they're least concerned, but in specific areas, we know that they are declining. Um, and a lot of areas also, which is a concern, we don't even know how many there are. So, for example, here in California, um, they are listed as a species of special concern. So that means you can't hunt them um, compared to other states, even within the U, like here in the U.S., um, hunting is unregulated for them. So it is super variable, um, just the way that people can use or not use mountain lions. Um, but it's also a problem because in a lot of those areas, we just don't know a lot about them. So even though they might be seen as kind of like relatively common species, there is still a lot we don't know about them, like how many there are, um, which that can affect or it should affect, um, you know, the rules that we put in place for whether they can be hunted or not. Interesting. I didn't know the mountain lion is least concern, at least according to the IUCN, because you would think, like, with a lot of big cats in the world, right, they're facing a lot of threats, like hunting, habitat destruction, etc. So yeah, I just didn't know that the cougar is pretty well off, at least relative to other big cats in the world. Yeah, and within, like I said, certain areas, you will probably have different um, statuses assigned to them, not by the IUCN, but maybe from local governments. Um, but yeah, overall, um, I think just because of their wide distribution, and they can live in almost any type of habitat, like in theory. Um, so because of that, yeah, they've been listed as least concern. Okay, got it. So another burning question I had was I heard rumors and also read some stories online of cougars stalking humans while they were hiking. So first of all, is that true? And just in general, are cougars dangerous to humans? Um, so I guess we have to put that in perspective. So the number of attacks on humans is super rare. 
but they are these predators. Like I said, they are carnivores. So yes, they can be dangerous, but the likelihood of ever having a negative interaction with a puma is very, very low. You're more likely to get bitten by a dog. That being said, um, we do as part of um, my job at Feel a Day, we do have some information on our website that we tell people. Um, and also when we give like community presentations, we give some tips on how like steps they can take to reduce ever having any kind of negative interaction um, with mountain lions. Um, for the most part, when people are hiking, there's probably a mountain lion that might have gone by and they will never even be aware of it. And that's kind of the ideal situation, I think, just having like an uneventful interaction. Or if people do see them, then they'll kind of see the mountain lion, look at look at them, and then the lion goes on its way. Because for the most part, they want to avoid people. They don't want to be where we are. Like when we're hiking, our voices will probably scare them away. And so that's why I said like, mostly you won't even know that they're there. Um, but in terms of like steps that people can take to, you know, not ever come in contact with the mountain lion, we just tell them like, don't hike by yourself. Don't hike at dawn and dusk when they're more likely to be active. Um, if you have kids with you, always make sure that, you know, you have your kids, um, you know, very close to you. Don't let them go off by themselves. Uh, really important if you have um, pets with you, always leash your dogs when you're hiking um, even though people like to let their dogs off leash, but it's super important that they keep them close. Otherwise, it can be if the dog gets off the trail and maybe comes across a mountain lion, then it could end badly for the dog with both animals, of course, trying to defend themselves. So are they dangerous? Yes, but um, very unlikely you'll ever see one. I've never even seen one. Um, and I'm hoping someday I do, though. Right. And I just want to elaborate on your point further. Because a lot of people think these quote-unquote dangerous animals, such as mountain lions, uh, sharks, snakes, etc., they think they're dangerous, and if they encounter one, they should try to kill it. But in fact, they're just minding their own business. And as long as you mind your own business, you don't try to aggravate it, right? Nothing's going to happen. And like you said, the likelihood of people being attacked by a cougar or a shark or a snake, etc. It's so low, it's it's lower than being bit by a dog or being struck by lightning or getting in a car accident. So there's really nothing for us humans to worry about when we encounter these quote-unquote dangerous animals. And it's funny, actually, that you mentioned um, the likelihood of getting bit by a dog is higher because... I was just bit by a dog last week. Oh, no. So I can attest to your statement that the likelihood of getting bit by a dog is <laughs> higher than being attacked by a cougar, which I haven't experienced. Yet. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> no worries. It's just a gentle bite of affection. <laughs> so you currently work at the Feliday Conservation Fund, right? So what are they? What do they do? And what's their mission? Yeah, so Feel Day was started by um, well, our founder and president, Zara McDonald. She started this organization in 2006 now. Um, and so the overall kind of goal of the organization is to use education and research to make sure that we have wild felids around um, you know, for future generations. And so it's starting out kind of with the more international focus. Um, she was doing work in... Um, on snow leopards in Asia, also did some work in Borneo with clouded leopards, um, and then some stuff um, in Africa as well. Uh, but 
now the focus has shifted more to um, this kind of local uh, San Francisco Bay Area, California um, focus in the mountain lions. And we still have a couple international projects. One looking at um, mountain lions in um, Patagonia, in Chile, or sorry, in Argentina, and then another project where there's a researcher working in Savo in Kenya. And she's studying cheetahs over there, um, but for the most part, um, the focus right now is on mountain lions. Wow, snow leopards, cheetahs, and now cougars in the U.S. These are all super cool species, which I hope to see one day. But I'm just curious, why focus on studying these big cats specifically? Yeah, so big cats definitely fall under what we call the charismatic megafauna. So that just means, you know, these big animals are super cool, um, but kind of more like ecologically, like they have uh, really, they're really important in that sense, just because they do have big impacts on all the other species um, you know, in the ecosystem. So what they eat directly, so their um, prey species like deer, those will be affected by these, you know, apex predators, these big cats, um, you know, what the deer eat will also be affected. So you might have like indirect effects on plant species, ways that they compete with other carnivores, smaller ones. Um, they can have an impact on that, so smaller carnivores, things like maybe smaller cats, um, or coyotes or things like that. And so that is kind of the overall reason and for protecting these big cats is just because if we don't have big cats, then you're going to see changes in the ecosystem because we do need those big predators to keep things in check. Right. So these big cats or other carnivores who are at the top of the food chain are super important indicators of a healthy ecosystem, right? They kind of keep things in check. So would it be safe to say, like, if there aren't any mountain lions in an area where they're supposed to be in, does that mean that the habitat is probably degraded to some extent? Yeah, probably. If they're, if they're no longer in an area where they used to be, then yeah, there's something we need to look into that and figure out why that was and why we weren't able to make sure they could persist in that area. And then likely you'll have, you know, you might not see changes right away, but maybe in future years, some sort of um, cascading effects um, that you'll see in other species. Gotcha. Okay, well, going back to the Philadelphia Conservation Fund and more specifically your project on mountain lions in the Bay Area, what exactly are the day-to-day operations? Like, do you need to collect data on mountain lions or do you need to do any outreach and education? Yeah, it's kind of a mix. So it's basically like research and then outreach. So we use uh, remote cameras, so putting out camera traps throughout the Bay Area to try and get an idea of where the mountain lions are and when. And we know where they are just because we know where every single camera trap is. We have the um, lat long coordinates for those. And then the images that come out from the camera traps are date and time stamps that tell us when they're in different locations. So we can use that information to know um, just where they are and then relate that to other things going on in a landscape, maybe like distance to freeway if we're interested in looking at um, road more uh, road-based mortality on on mountain lines, or we can use it to look at proximity to urban areas or um, a number of things. Um, So that's kind of the research side of things. And then we also use the data we collect from our research um, in our outreach efforts. So a lot of times people will tell us like, oh, there's maybe five mountain lines coming through my neighborhood in the past like two weeks. And so we'll say, oh, okay, that's probably not true, but that's interesting. Let's um, put up a camera trap there and see what 
like just see what we see and then the people will be able to see firsthand like oh okay it was just one mountain line it didn't actually come that many times um it only maybe went by once or if we already have cameras in the general location we can tell them what we are getting with our data and so we really use that kind of um evidence-based um approach to um, our outreach efforts and targeting certain communities that may have like more misinformation about pumas there or um yeah, just try to mitigate human wildlife conflict. So you're collecting all this data of cougar movements from remote cameras. Um, you're you're collecting evidence of cougars near human areas. What are you hoping to achieve with this data? Like, are there any target goals for your team? Yeah. So in terms of like our overall goal, we want to just increase awareness about mountain lions in the Bay Area um, and just make sure that, you know, we can have them in this area for a long time. It is pretty unique that we get them pretty frequently on our camera traps um, in certain parts of the Bay, especially. Um, But overall, we want to make sure that there's less misinformation because when that happens, people are more likely to take kind of these like, like, fear-based responses to mountain lions and that could lead to like negative attitudes towards them and so if people are tolerant of mountain lions being in the area then that's not no matter how much data we have that's not gonna help anyone um, with making sure that they can stick around a long time um, in the future and so like some of the most basic things that we do is just tell people like well what's the difference between a mountain lion and a bobcat Um, a lot of people don't know we get we have a sightings map um, where people just from the general public can report when they see a mountain lion. And so usually they will send a picture, not all the time though, but they'll send a picture and sometimes we'll look at it and we'll see that what they think is a mountain lion is actually like, in my case, we got a raccoon <laughs> or we got get domestic cats, not too infrequently. And so just at the most basic level, there needs to be, um, you know, more, efforts to make sure that people even know just what a mountain lion is because i think they you know hear a lion and it's like oh that's a predator that's bad we don't want it here got it so your overall goal is to raise more awareness and try to mitigate human lion conflicts right so on the note of human lion conflicts what do people usually do when they see a lion while hiking or if they see a lion like walking by their property and trying to attack their domestic animals. What's the usual response of the human? Yeah, so if, let's say, someone has like a little farm um, on their property and a mountain lion comes and they have video or they just know that it was a mountain lion. So um, a couple of things can happen. Uh, they can call the California Department of Fish and Wildlife and if they say that the mountain lion was a threat to their safety or their property, so as it would be in this case, the there will be like a an employee from Fish and Wildlife come out and take care of the puma. So they will kill it, um, and that will be the end of that. Unfortunately, though, sometimes people won't always even do that because at least if people are calling the, the Department of Fish and Wildlife, then we have some sort of data of how often that's happening, uh, where that's happening. But, yeah. So just to recap, if a human sees a cougar roaming around their property, they can call the Fish and Wildlife Department, and the Fish and Wildlife Department 
has to come and kill it? Is that the protocol? Yeah, so... Yeah, so what will happen is they will give some information to try and, like, maybe deter the animals. So they might say, like, well, are your animals penned at night? Uh, what steps are you taking to make sure that lions don't come and continue, you know, this behavior? Because we also don't want to encourage lions. Like, like we don't want to attract them to certain areas, right? And so depending on that, um, they will either, the person will make sure they do take take those steps or um, someone from Vision Wildlife will come out and will kill the puma. However, if that doesn't happen, say the person doesn't even bother calling Fish and Wildlife or they're just not satisfied with whatever response they get. Um, unfortunately, there is cases where we haven't, we don't really have an idea of how, how prevalent this response is, but there's something called shoot, shovel, and shut up. And so this might be where someone will just take care of the puma themselves, they'll dispose of it somewhere, and, you know, they just won't mention it to anyone. Um, but we, we do know that happens, but again, we don't have data for that because people aren't you know, aren't making that something that they want everyone else to know about. And so, yeah, at least if they call Fish and Wildlife, we can get an idea of that because those data are publicly available, but not if people just decide to kind of take matters um, into their own hands. Is relocation ever an option? Like if we capture the cougar and send it like 100 kilometers away with the hopes that it won't come back and, you know, bother the humans... Would that be an option? I know that has happened in the past, but it's not so easy. Um, it does take a lot of work to like find the animal and then to figure out where to even relocate it. Sometimes they'll end up just going back to where they were. Um, and so that does happen, but I think for the most part, um, it's more feasible or, yeah, to just kind of get rid of the puma. Right, that makes sense. I mean, it's just not financially or logistically feasible. Mm -hmm. Okay, so can you talk to us about the education aspect now? So how exactly do you go about your outreach and raise more awareness on how people can live in harmony with mountain lions? Yeah, so we do some webinars and also like in-person community events. So that just means kind of giving a slideshow to tell people basically like what is a mountain lion like what do they eat um we show some camera trap videos um people really seem to like that but just giving some basic information to people um in different areas uh in the bay area and then also we have our website where we share information from there we have part of our website that's just devoted to like how to live with mountain lions it has specific tips for um like making sure that you don't have mountain lions being attracted to your property, bringing your pets inside, bringing food inside, that sort of thing at night. Um, what to do if you see one um, on the hiking trail. So like making yourself um, big, being loud, you know, fighting back if you need to, if it gets to that point. Um, and then besides that, we like to post things on social media to remind people that if they see a puma to let us know. And then also just sharing stories about mountain lions that we um, find or any like updates about our own research but yeah mostly just meeting people all across the bay doing different events um, chatting to people telling them what we do um, that's the most effective so being in marketing i'm always trying to find like what's the most effective way to spread a message to people Right, especially for conservation, for environmentalism, etc. 
And so what I found in the past is like if we just host webinars or community events, etc., this is mostly going to attract people who are already interested in this issue. Mm -hmm. But how do we reach people who have zero interest and get the message across to them so that at least they are aware of, you know, how to live in harmony with lions or what to do when they encounter a mountain lion. Yeah, so I'll give you an example. A few weeks ago, we had a former volunteer who lives um, in the peninsula part of the Bay Area, and she was telling us that there's been reports on her community, like Google group of mountain lions in the area, and she was saying, like, people have this, like, really fear-based response, and they're saying that they're really scared. Um, what should they do? And so she asked us um, if we would be interested in um, potentially giving a talk to that community. And Felity has given a talk to that community uh, before I joined them in the past, and so that seemed to work, but it does seem like some of the more fear-based responses now are maybe new residents or people that haven't been living there um, too long. And so in that case, that's kind of the perfect situation that, you know, these people have all, there's all this misinformation. And so we can directly target that community to let them know, like, you know, don't worry, um, give them, put the danger of living with pumas like into perspective um, and just kind of give them some basic information about puma ecology. Um, and so, and that's one way. Um, another way is that, um, through the sightings map that I mentioned where people are submitting those reports, um, there's a little, when they submit a report, so they'll say when they saw the mountain lion, um, if they have a picture um, or video, they'll submit that. And then they can write a couple lines to just kind of put their, you know, sighting into context. So sometimes people will write some things that you can tell that they um, are scared or if they're just submitting things that are clearly not mountain lions and we can kind of target those areas and those communities and maybe speak to um, um, some of the community groups there and say, like, would you be interested in us giving um, a short presentation um, to you guys just about mountain lions and their ecology, et cetera? Got it. So going back to your overarching goal of promoting coexistence and mitigating conflicts with lions... Mm -hmm. In an ideal world, what would that look like? Like, is it realistic to have a scenario where there's zero conflict, where humans and cougars just do their own thing? And when cougars do come into human areas and they're checking out these delicious kids, these delicious farm animals, is there any effective way to prevent anything from happening and eventually have the cougar just move along? Yeah, so like in terms of what a harmonious situation would look like, that would just be that, you know, pumas are in the area, people are in there, and nobody ever comes in contact with anyone. Uh, that's kind of what we want, just une uneventful co-occurrences. Um, but in terms of like there being zero conflict, um, I mean, it might be possible, but maybe unlikely, just not even because of pumas, but because of everything going on around them and human behavior uh, because, as, as you know, habitat loss and habitat fragmentation are, are kind of the major threats to mountain lions, and that um, includes here in the Bay Area as well. Because they're losing their habitat, um, they're being pushed more and more to use these urban areas. 
And so even if we're educating people all the time, you know, there are, of course, new people coming in that may not be knowledgeable about living in areas where there are wildlife like mountain lions. Um, and so, yeah, human behavior is difficult to change, but that's why we have to work on it. But just continuously educating people um, to not do things that will attract mountain lions to certain areas. And so because of that, I think, you know, we can try and mitigate the conflict as much as possible. We don't have a ton of incidences of like conflict in this area, um, but obviously like anytime it does happen, it is, it is too much, even if it's just one prefer none. So we just have to keep working at it and hopefully continue to educate people so that they don't um, make it more likely that mountain lions will come and take their alpacas or their pets. Okay. And going back to the second part of the question, if we do have a mountain lion just persistently roaming around human areas and checking out the kids, checking out the farm animals, is there any effective way to maybe just block everything off or prevent it from doing anything and eventually just have it move along? Yeah, so if we see one like roaming around, usually they will just move on. This is kind of the report that we get um, more frequently from people is like, oh, they're really scared because they just keep seeing it. And then our question is like, well, what happened? What did it do? Like, well, nothing. It was just walking around. Then we say like, okay, like, that's fine. <laughs> Let it kind of go on its way. They usually hang around for a while. Um, and then, you know, they will go on to somewhere else because they do have really large, large ranges. They're not going to, you're not going to get the same mountain lion hanging out, um, say, in your neighborhood for a long time. Um, so for the most part, like we get videos that people send us from their ring cameras to so the mountain lions in actual neighborhoods, like neighborhoods that I wouldn't have expected um, in that there's like more traffic than I would think that a mountain lion would be at. But they are just like kind of hiding, you know, walking super elusive, like. Uh, buying bushes and going past the neighborhood but yeah so for the most part that's kind of the situation that's going to happen um and then if we want to talk about like keeping them out then that's really goes to um again trying to educate people like don't have your pets off or you don't have your kids unattended outside same with pets as well and so if you do that there's no not really any reason for the mountain lion to stick around um in the area now if you live in more kind of remote areas where you are like closer to um you know decent forest an area of decent forest cover um then people should of course all year be uh, more i guess um, vigilant because they are living in closer proximity to wildlife but as long as they've taken steps to make sure there's nothing on their property to attract mountain lions there that yeah there's no reason um no reason for for any any i guess concern or extreme concern right there's usually like nothing to be concerned about the cougar is just minding its own thing <laughs> all right so we talked about the research the education and outreach let's talk about policy now so are there any gaps with the current policy whether it's like managing conflicts or preserving cougar habitats are there any gaps that needs improvement with the current policy that's in place um so i think the major issue right now is that we don't know how many mountain lions there are in the state of california um there was i think like over 10 years ago an estimate that got put out but it was kind of based on a lot of extrapolation um and maybe only yeah coming from one area or a couple of areas in the state and so i know that the government 
is working on releasing a new estimate sometime in the next um, in the next year or so. Uh, the state government that is. So I think that is the biggest gap because that's going to affect you know our knowledge of where we should be focusing on um, conserving more habitat um, and also making sure that we keep that genetic diversity for mountain lions in the stakes. That's another big issue for them is with increasing habitat fragmentation and you know one line not being able to get to another part of the state. Um, if those two lines can't meet, they can't mate, and so they can't exchange that genetic information. So, um, yeah, having those numbers on where mountain lions maybe are more abundant within the state, whereas where they're not, that is really going to affect our ability to get an idea of where we should be focusing on to increase that genetic diversity. Hmm. On that note, do you think, based on the data that you have right now, do you think there's enough habitat connectivity for cougars in the U.S.? No, so that's kind of one of the major um, focal projects we have right now with Fila Days, trying to understand why in some parts of the Bay, um, we just don't, we are detecting pumas. And there's one area where uh, Fila Day has been monitoring it for 10 years and has never detected um, pumas within a protected area. That seems like it has decent cover. We get a lot of mule deer there, but it is surrounded by a ton of freeways kind of all around. And so that is one area that we're trying to look into in the next few months about identifying um, where the specific barriers are, the most important barriers to pumas to prevent them from getting to that park, um, and then also which areas might still act as corridors in the future. So kind of making sure that we can identify areas that need to be protected. Um, and yeah, isolation of habitat patches is a huge issue, even just within the Bay Area, and then I'm sure across um, all of the United States and in Canada as well. So yeah, they're not enough not enough habitat connectivity. As more and more habitat gets broken up, we need to make sure that those corridors are protected. Got it. So if a listener right now, they're listening to this and they're super interested in mountain lions and they would like to contribute to raising more awareness about coexisting with mountain lions and mitigating conflicts, what should they do? Yeah. So the first thing that I would just say for anyone, regardless of wherever they are, is just to become more informed about mountain lions, you know, what they look like, first of all, I mean, why they're important. And then if people want to get in touch with us, they can. We have people helping us from not just in the Bay Area, but um, all around the world. Like we have interns from Europe. Uh, we have people that remotely help us take camera trap images from the East Coast of the U.S., um, and so if people want to learn more about that, they can go to our website, feeladayfund.org. So uh, F-E-L-I-D-A-E-F-U-N-D.org. And then they can also go to um, our Bay Area Puma Project website, which might be easy to remember, just B-A-P-P.org. And then there's information there for how they can reach out if they're interested um, in getting in touch with us. Nice. And I'll add all of these links in the show notes or the description as well. What about social media? What are your thoughts on that? Do you think that's an effective channel to raise more awareness about mountain lion conflict issues? And how can people leverage social media to, to spread the message? Yeah, I think the language that people use is super important. Um, Unfortunately, sometimes when there'll be reports of, say, mountain lion in neighborhood, um, you know, the reporters might use language that 
might instill like a fear-based response, like, oh, like super aggressive, you know, mountain lion walking through neighborhood or terrorizes neighborhood. And really it's just a lion walking through somewhere. So those types of, that type of vocabulary doesn't help the situation at all. And it just kind of like on some level could validate fear that people already have um, in them. And so I think when sharing information on social media, it's definitely important to just kind of, you know, keep like level head, um, not to not to add these like kind of sensational sensational like words to the mix um, and just say like oh if like this story was saying that there was a mountain lion terrorizing this neighborhood actually it was just walking by so trying to address that misinformation is super important and yeah something that we could really use um, everyone's help on yeah totally agree with that now if listeners want to contact you or learn more about your work. Where would be the best place to do that? Uh, yeah, my Twitter is just G-R-A-N-A-D-O-S-A-L-Y-S. So just my last name and then my first name. Uh, they can also go to the BAP um, website, BAPP.org, for the Bay Area Puma Project um, if they want more information. And then um, eventually, if they send a message to that, it'll it'll trickle down to me. <laughs> Perfect. And again, I'll have all of these links in the show notes. Are there any other resources you would like to share? Um, no, just they can go to the Tila Day website. Um, and also, if they're interested in keeping in touch or staying up to date with more kind of environmental um, news articles, I would encourage people to go to the Manga Bay uh, website as well. Great. Well, thank you so much, Alice. It's an absolute pleasure chatting with you. And yeah, we should catch up sometime. Yeah, sounds good. That's it for today's episode of EcoChat. Be sure to subscribe to stay up to date with the latest episodes. If you enjoyed it, consider leaving a rating and review and share it with your network to spread more awareness. And with that, I'll catch you next time on EcoChat.